It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. studio up uh, where am i upstairs studio that's where i am it's a beautiful delightful day in studio with me we've got carol cole carol how you doing i'm doing just fine jeff how are you this lovely morning i'm great the fact that we're talking is great because uh, a week and a half ago i i messaged you that i had a man crush on your husband and i didn't hear back <laughs> for a couple of days and thought you disowned me but uh but it's all good um i, I don't did, did you tell him that i have a man crush on him I did, and I think he appreciated it. Okay, that's a little bit awkward, but I'm cool <laughs> with it because uh, he seems like an awesome dude. In studio with us, we've got a very special guest. We're going to get into her early learning journey, Tamar Jacobson. Tamar, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. We were out late last night, you and I recording with uh, with Tosh in Australia, and, and we were so dedicated to podcasting. We're up and, and doing it again today. Um, so you know the drill tomorrow. You've done a couple of these. We start with your with your early learning journey. We're going to start at the very beginning with uh, with baby tomorrow and go from there. Um, where how how does tomorrow get started <laughs> well you know i've been thinking about my life obviously and i know that an hour is, is quite a short time to cover it because i'm going to be 73 next week so that's a lot of years yes carol you can you can gasp like that well and, and tomorrow <laughs> i, I, I said i mentioned that well. this that the, the the reason the the reason we're doing this is one we we thought maybe we needed to do ourselves and and these episodes and you're the one that's brave enough to do it but but also after uh, after Dan Hodgins passed away last year I had a couple people uh, message me and say Jeff when are you going to record tomorrow uh, because they're they're worried about not having your your story recorded um, but before they're they're worried you're going to die and they I want know, your story I recorded know. so um, I don't think it's really timely I mean we're not we're not uh, we're not predicting anything, but uh, no, um, no. I thought it'd be good to get your story recorded. So you're going to be 73. Where do you start? Uh, well, I started in what was called Southern Rhodesia. It's called Zimbabwe today. And it went through a couple of iterations because it became Rhodesia at a certain point when in my, in my um, teenage years. But when I was born, it was called Southern Rhodesia. There was Northern Rhodesia, which is now Zambia. And there was Southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. So I grew British up, colony? Yeah, British colony, very British colony. Um, British governor we had and so forth. You know, yep, tea in the afternoon at four and so, so forth. Actually, I've got tea right tell, now. 
Tell us what I mean. I'm guessing very few of our of our listeners were born in that part of the world, um, or have even visited that part of the world. What what was what was that like? Um, well, the country I loved. I mean, I you know to this day I still have memories of the smell of it, of the the rain on the earth, and because um, it's Africa and the skies are are very big and interesting, and we have thunderstorms when it when it gets very hot, and it's. Um, those kinds of things are terribly interesting. You know, when I was growing up, it, was, um, it wasn't apartheid like South Africa in the sense that there were laws against blacks and whites being together and so forth. Um, but it was sort of de facto. We sort of lived like that. So everybody had black African servants, even if you were not very wealthy because you didn't pay them very much. Um, so I grew up kind of white privileged um, which haunted me for the rest of my life, actually. And my first book that I wrote was about that. It was about um, confronting my dis- our discomfort about bias. Um, and a, a big part of that I wrote about in, in my first book. Um, so, but I grew up in, a, <laughs> in a, 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 an interesting family. I had three older siblings. My, my oldest sister was 12 years older than me. And then my older brother was six years older than me, my other sister eight years older than me, and they were from a different father. My mother married three times, and I'm from the second husband, who she was with for four years, and she had me, so I'm sort of wedged between um, the first and the third husband. Um, The third husband, she had her little boy when I was eight, and I, I kind of think that around that time, maybe a little bit earlier than that, um, she kind of didn't want me. Um, I was in the way. She was trying to make a new family. And now, I mean, now that I look back at, at yeah. the time, I was just um, longing to belong somewhere, either with my older siblings or with this new family, which uh, a family member once called them the him the the crown prince and the royal family because (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually quite close to that brother now but for a while we just didn't have much to do with each other and and I guess I was you you remember feeling when you were little that that disconnect no Uh, I I I didn't I don't remember feeling much of anything actually um can you hear that noise no Okay, because somebody's doing some yard work, and I'll close the window if you can. Um, oh, maybe it's my mother. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling the story. Um, look, you know, she had a very hard life. She was sent to boarding school when she was six. So um, she, she, I don't think she really knew how to love very, very well. Um, I'm, I'm being kind to her here, but I, I had a pretty tough emotional childhood feeling very unwanted and not belonging anywhere and so forth. Um, and I think that has influenced my work with children. I mean, I don't think it, I'm sure it has, because I just want children to have such a better deal than I did emotionally. Um, and um, she had a different kind of relationship to me than she did with my older sisters, for example. She, I don't know if it was because she didn't, she hated my father and she thought I came from him or if it was just that I was in the way while she was trying to make this new family. Um, but anyway, I grew up feeling 
I mustn't eat too much. I mustn't talk too much. I mustn't be in the way. I should be invisible. You wouldn't think so today, right? <laughs> you outgrown it. <laughs> Fortunately, I have outgrown it. Um, and so it, I had this kind of childhood and um, young adulthood, well, teenage life, where I really just didn't know who I was. Um, and I was sort of, I felt like, it's, it's probably not true, but I felt like I was sort of hiding behind doors and just listening and watching and observing and being very, very careful not to upset people around me. Um, I'm not sure that they would see it that way, my family, but that's how I felt growing up. Sure. Um, and that I'm, I'm afraid I carried with me till today in a way. What? You, oh, oh, go ahead, Carol. Go ahead. I was just thinking, do you think kind of growing up in that kind of society where it was, you know, to have servants like black servants and things like that, do you think that kind of played in perhaps to you under like having some kind of understanding that certain people just weren't worth as much? Like it Absolutely. wasn't it wasn't uncommon for like having to see that, like those people treated differently. Do you think you might have internalized some of that too? Like, well, this is just the way it is. Some people. Well, are, you know, it, it's a really good question because I think what happened was I identified with the, the black people because they were marginalized in society. And so right. was I. I felt like in my in my family society, I, I felt marginalized. So I had very strong connection to my nanny, for example, my nannies, and to the servants in general. In fact, I used to. I used to eat with them on the back porch. They sat on the back porch and they had a kind of um, cornmeal that was made into a sort of porridge and they would dip it in, in uh, gravy. And I would sit, it's called sadza. And I would sit with them when I was a child and eat with them. And, um, and I loved being with them because I was so accepted and they, they were so loving of me, all of them. They would laugh but if I sort of did things in a funny way and so forth. So I, I always felt kind of loved by them. So I really identified with them very, very strongly, which, again, I write about in my first book, which is quite a while ago, 2003, when I first came to America. Um, so what, what, what did play look like when you were a kid? Yeah, that's great. It was very imaginative, lots of outdoors. I didn't have many friends. I had one or two little friends. I was, I was kind of... Um, I think I went, in fact, I'm, I know I did. I went to nursery school when I was about four. Um, and actually, I <laughs> have a couple of report cards from that left over, two of them, where they say that I was a sort of leader. I would sort of make, um, make the children do things, other children <laughs> do things. <laughs> I suppose I led play, right? I would do imaginative play with them. So, you know, I did a lot of imaginary play. Um, I didn't go to elementary school probably till I was about six. Which and is, how was that? Um, well, it's a, such a good question. I was a, a very quiet, shy student, I thought. But come to find out I was a leader. Um, <laughs> I don't know how a four-year-old looks like a leader, but I was, apparently. I should have taken that out and read it to you because it's a funny little report card um 
can't believe I gave you a report card. <laughs> I know, British British system, yeah. It, it was very descriptive. There wasn't like grades or anything like that. It was a descriptive sort of thing. It was very oh. nice, actually, yeah. Um, so I was good at school. I didn't shine or anything. I mean, I, um, yeah, I was okay, but I was frightened a lot. I was all, all the time very scared of being good and not making any trouble and, and I never did, got into trouble as a result. Did you enjoy school? No, <laughs> because I was too scared. I was, I was actually, I spent a lot of my childhood and youth frightened till I was about, probably about 16, I think, um, 15 or Fright, 16. Frightened of? Everyone. Just um, what people thought of me, um, of getting into trouble, of, and I, I wasn't sure of my um, abilities either. My, my mother really was not interested. Like, I, I, I ran track when I was 13. Um, um, I was a pretty fast runner. I was also the, the wing in, in field hockey, which you have to run fast, you know, down the down yeah after the ball. Um, so I was, a, I was quite a runner, and I won some prizes, you know, when I would I, uh, uh, go in the races and so forth. And I'd bring home my little prize and she just wasn't interested. She just never, ever, to this day, to the day she died, she was never interested in my, my life. Um, that kind of anxious quite and isolated awesome. feeling. I think, you know, we, there's so much on, about kids online and with social media today feeling that you, you can't make a choice or, or have an opinion because you might, you might stick out. And, and I, I think the social media and the internet amplifies that, but I think you're making a, a great point that I think that's something that a lot of people suffer. Is that the right world, word yeah. um, in, in their early years? And I'm very drawn to those kinds of children, children who are quiet and try to be invisible. I'm very drawn to them as a, obviously, because um, I see myself in them. And so I, I you know, I, I don't force them or anything. I sit with them quietly. I talk to them if they want. I sort of stay close because, you know, that would have been so helpful for me if somebody would have just said anything, you know, to me, like, you know, how are you feeling today, kid? But, yeah. you know, it was pretty um, structured, my, my education. We sort of sat at desks and, you know, wrote, wrote learned to do um, cursive. Oh, yeah. I think that's the American expression. Joining with join, joining, uh, we would call it. So, um, I, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, so that that isolation. You said sixteen. You had it until you were about sixteen. What happened at sixteen? Yes, interestingly, um, I was in a in a high school at the time where there were probably it was a very big high school, like hundreds of children. Um, maybe maybe thousand a thousand I don't know but it was very big um, and there must have been maybe four Jewish children and I was Jewish um, my family didn't practice any Judaism and my mother didn't live near the Jewish community at all um, in fact she was irreverent she was a she was a staunch atheist and irreverent um, so we, I mean, I had no Jewish background, but some people came from the Jewish youth movement, which was a, a socialist Jewish youth movement called Habonim. It's 
quite famous actually. And they came to recruit the three or four Jewish children in this thing. And uh, so I sort of went to a couple of the meetings and it was fabulous. It was, um, it was run by peers, like a scout group, mm-hmm. but um, not rigid like, like scouts. Um, I don't know if you've heard of kibbutz. It's a it's a communal yeah. settlement in Israel. So it was it's there a, was there like a cool neckerchief or, yes, or anything yes. you could wear Badges. like with a toggle. Yes, yeah. with a toggle. Yeah. Okay, um, well, good, good. <laughs> and it was worth it, right? <laughs> and I had so much fun. I felt belonging for the first time in my life with a group of people, and I was learning stuff about Israel, especially, and about uh, the kibbutz movement, uh, the communal settlements that it had developed, and so and socialism, of course. Um, and so, I think it just brought me out, and I, I, I um, was caught in, overheard in the shower singing. Um, I have this very good singing voice, and um, they made me sing in public you know, at the campfires and so forth. They didn't make me, but they asked me to. And in the beginning, I was so terrified of singing in public that um, one, of the, <laughs> one of the leaders was so wise. He said, you know, tomorrow, turn your chair so that you're not looking at us and sing. And um, I did that. And This wasn't <laughs> when you were still in the shower, right? No. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good. Because that, would be, that no. would be a little bit awkward. <laughs> and it was very helpful because I could sort of not look at everybody and I sang away I, I, I sang a lot of Joan Baez and Judy Collins and if you've ever heard of these people <laughs> K- 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 Carol are you are you feeling the need to hear uh, Tamar <laughs> sing something right now I was wondering if in your head you're already writing like Tomorrow the Musical. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you said you're working fun. on your on your memoirs. Maybe it needs to be a a one woman show with a, a couple musical numbers in there. Um, you gonna gonna sing a little Joan Baez for us right now? Right now? Sure. Well, I'm getting old and my voice is and I haven't had my tea properly. Wait a second. <laughs> This is not not what I was expecting to do, Jeff. You should have um, known better. It's Jeff. Well, you don't have to do it. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of something that could be sort of brief. <laughs> so, um, uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Where do I go? I've forgotten the words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listeners, you're not going to hear Tamar Jacobson singing on many other podcasts. So that was a, uh, a real treat for you. Um, and so somebody you're you're a 16 year old and somebody listens to you sing in the shower and you come out of your shell. It sounds a little <laughs> bit weird, but OK. Um, yeah. And so then you. But I, I think it was more that I felt belonging and that I had yeah. some kind of purpose. At the same time, I had a very. No, that was no. Two years later, when I was 18, I made a very good friend. I don't know if you've heard of the author Mem Fox. She's an Australian children's writer. Yeah, of course. Her her sister is my very, very best friend. Wow. And, um, she's younger than Mem. And um, they were living in, in, in Rhodesia at the time. They were, their parents were missionaries. Um, they left the missionary corps and then um, created a fantastic teacher training college, actually, for African for black Africans. Um, so Jan and I became very close friends in, 
high school when we were 17. And um, her family were doing work with um, young black Africans who had no work and were pretty poor. And we, we were teaching them English. Um, and plus we had these, um, I don't know what to call them, but there were there was this farm where we would all go a group of multiracial people and um, do work on the farm. And the idea was to to get us all together and be a, be a cohesive group and banish all the <laughs> the apartheid segregation kinds of things. It was a little bit like the period of um, civil rights here, probably because it's the same time period, actually, 65, 66, 7, like that. Um, and in fact, one of the, one of the women who organized that, um, I can't remember the name of the, the, they were Quakers, most of them, but the one woman who had organized it was deported, actually, uh, at the time that it turned into Rhodesia. We had, a, uh, we had a prime minister called Ian Smith who broke away from Britain. He was called a rebel government because he wanted to go to, um, legalized apartheid. He wanted to do what South Africa did. And, you know, he censored, he, he deported people, house detained them. It was a pretty dangerous time, actually, to be doing that kind of work. So I was doing that kind of work as well as being in Haponim and learning about Israel and the kibbutz. And, and I, my life just got so enriched. Um, and Jan's, Jan's, you know, Mem and Jan's parents were, they just took me in. That was the first time that I learned that Jesus probably wasn't white and blonde. Um, they had this portrait of Jesus who was sort of, you know, more uh, dark skinned and with curly black hair, like he would have been in the Middle East. Um, I mean, he was Jewish, for goodness sake. And um, <laughs> I walked in and I looked at that portrait and I wrote about that also in the book because I got such a fright. I'd never seen a picture of Jesus that wasn't blonde with blue eyes and um and they had a servant who ate with them at the same table and they worked together in the kitchen she only had one servant uh, uh, Jan's mom and I just it just changed my whole perspective and my whole life it's a whole different um, so that was a very critical period for me so I've just, got go ahead Carol oh no you can go no you go I'm just thinking about that how like how that would have, have affected you like being empathetic and kind of seeing, like truly seeing all different kinds of people having grown up, kind of being included by like the servants and then to get to this stage and then to work side by side and seeing them included. I know like for me, I grew up in Northeastern Pennsylvania, so it, it, it's not very diverse. You know, my, my, my first foray into diversity was when we moved to Washington and it was um, a very heavy Filipino population, but like what that does to your kind of the way you see things when you're like immersed in like another culture, another way of seeing things, like how that kind of, I'm wondering if it did the same for you. Like you, you're, you could almost feel like your empathy and like open up and just see another way of being almost, I guess. Absolutely. It's, it's so exciting actually. Um, it's like the, it was like the beginning of understanding that I have a choice. I don't have to see this way or that way. I can, I can see differently. I can do differently. I mean, there are tons and millions of stories around that period, which you know I don't want to, to go into. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, we all, we all go through life with with blinders on that are based on, you know, how we live and where we live and and getting out of that box, taking those blinders off is a is really re- revelatory. It's, you see a, a broader sense of the world uh, tomorrow. I've got two questions. One is a Jeff question. And one is I think it's a Tamar question. That's a, it's a question <laughs> that Tamar would ask. Which one would you like first? Anyone you want, Jeff. That sounds okay. exciting. <laughs> okay, so the Jeff question is: What? What? Paint us a picture of the of what the uh, the 16, 17, 18 year old tomorrow looks like. This is the this is the sixties. Um, were you were you a hippie? Was that happening yeah. over there? Or uh, well, I, was... I became more and more, and you know, I was I was brought up pretty strictly in this kind of British way by my mother, who who you know loved. Queen Victoria and the Queens in general. So, you know, very proper. Um, so I, I dressed properly. Um, I was trying to be, be in the times I had these weird kind of hairdos that people in the 60s did. If you see them, they're really hilarious. Um, the only, the, it was only much later, probably uh, my late 20s, that I started to just allow my hair to curl and get very long very long and curly um but then i was straightening it and um you know trying to not trying to not look jewish or or black african right um um, and properly dressed and i I behaved pretty well i was very i was very dedicated in the in the youth movement and i was very dedicated in my work with uh, the black africans and so forth with my friend jan um so I was very serious. I was a very serious very person. Serious. I never smoked. Oh. I never drank. I never did any of that stuff. Uh, to, to this day? <laughs> no, I've never okay. smoked. To this okay. day, I've never smoked. But um, okay. I, I have, I have, I have I've had quite a few drinks. you had a cocktail? Time. Okay, good. <laughs> I had a nip or two. <laughs> um, so the other question is, this is the tom- <laughs> <laughs> a nip or two. <laughs> this is this is the uh, Tamar question. This is the question I've heard you ask other people. You uh you kind of got glossed over your father. What was your relationship Isn't with that him, interesting? if any? That is so smart of you, Jeff. And my stepfather. Well, I too. learned from you. Yeah. That's why he gets the big books. <laughs> I mean, I was in therapy for years until finally the therapist said, Were there no men in your family? Because I never talked about them. Um my father was 55 when I was born, so he was an older man. Um, he had been married. His wife had divorced him and re- married somebody else, and then he met my mom and had me, and then after four years went back to that first wife because that husband of hers died. So, uh, And then when they were 75 or so forth, when they went into uh, sort of assisted living, they, <laughs> they divorced again. Um, so that's my father, but he was very, um, he was born in Rhodes Island, Greece, um, and he spoke many languages, and he was very kind and loving toward me. He would see me probably every second weekend, and I would see him sometimes during the week because we lived in a, in a house near where he worked, and I would go and visit him. Um, he was very kind to me, um, and he he. You know, he loved me like a grandfather. Um, he was always pride, proud to show me off. And I always dressed very nicely when I went to see him because he liked me, that sort of thing. But he did protect me from my mother. 
when when you said he was very kind to me, I, does that mean he was not kind to others? Jeff, you're way too astute this morning. Well, according to my mother, she said he was a horrible person and that he was very mean with money and all that sort of thing. I never experienced that. Uh-huh. Yes. That so you're right. I'm, <clears throat> I suppose what I'm doing all my life is talking to my mother, <laughs> saying, well, actually, mommy was really kind to me. <laughs> right, mom, mom, you were the jerk. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty so much. What, what about uh, what about the the third husband? Your, I guess, my stepfather? Was he... I lived with him since I'm four, since before, because my mother was having an affair with with him even while she was pregnant with me. So uh, and I know this because she told me since since I can remember. Um, in fact, she told me that she went to him. Oh, my God, I'm pregnant with his child now. So she's told me that story ever since I'm young. Um, it's like a bedtime story. That's kind of, <laughs> kind of wild. Like, this is a pattern, though, like I know several people who have come from like kind of similar mothers, shall we say. And they, there is this common thread of the dad was very nice to them, but the mother perceived it as the dad was not kind to the mother. Like they were never nice enough to the mom. And inevitably they do take it out on the daughter who was yeah. accepting of, I guess, the niceness of the dad. The problem was I had to hide that I loved him. And so I didn't realize that I loved him until he died. And then, um, and then a lot of things opened up for me. And that's why I was in my early 30s by then. Um, so now I, I went to Israel when I was 18 to the kibbutz from, because of the youth movement and because things were happening in, in, in Rhodesia that, you know, the black Africans were now starting to fight for their freedom for Zimbabwe. And that kind of bloody and messy, huh? It was. It was. And um, a lot of us left. People, young people left. Mostly to go to college also in different places, but um, and everybody, people chose different places. Um, so I went to Israel and there I became a preschool kindergarten teacher. But first I went to the kibbutz. You went by yourself or you went with yeah. others from? No, by myself. My, I had two sisters who had gone there and um, my older sisters had gone there and lived by chance, actually. It because we, we weren't like that. We weren't sort of pro-Israel and very Jewish like that. But my, one, my older sister married a man who, who um, these are all such long stories. I have to make them very short. He, he just said to her, look, you know, I, I either want to go to Alaska or I want to go to Israel. So choose. And my sister didn't know either of them. So she went to my mother and said, where do I go? And my mother said, Israel, of course. Because who knew Alaska? We didn't know America at all. We didn't, nothing. <laughs> all our music was British too. Um, so she went there and settled with her husband. And then my other sister went to, to see her and liked Israel and settled there too. So then when I came, there were two sisters there already. Um, but I went on my own. Um, and I went to the kibbutz on my own too. And I loved it so much. And I worked in the children's house. I had never babysat, done any work with any children, except, you know, young, younger than me, because I became a leader in the, in the youth movement, very yeah. high up, actually, because I was very dedicated, very serious. 
Um, so is that something is that something you picked when you got there or there was something oh tomorrow you hear some kids um well i had to choose i mean i worked in all sorts of places i worked in the orchards i worked in the citrus orchards i worked in the in the big communal dining room and the kitchen and everywhere and everybody has to clean the communal toilets i mean everybody does everything including the the president of the keyboards everybody does it um which is what I love. This is what I love. You know, I, I really believe that if kings and queens and presidents would clean their own damn toilets, the whole world would be a different place. But anyway, that's another semester. Should be a bumper um, sticker. <laughs> I just think it's so important to know how people live. Um, uh, so anyway, I, they, they offered me this. They were like 15 month old children. like. Um, Older infants, mm -hmm. um, a group of five. They only had five in each children, children's house. And I went to work with this woman who was from Yemen, a Yemenite woman, Jewish, but Yemenite. Very, very strict about cleanliness. Um, she adored me because one day she caught me cleaning the light switches, you know, because I cottoned on that she liked things to be very clean. So I kept things very clean and she just loved me and everybody in the kibbutz couldn't get over it because she never got on with anybody. Um, but anyway, I loved these children. I just, I went crazy for these five children. Um, What's that look like? What does it look like? Oh, lots of cuddling, lots of... Um, playing with them on the floor. I mean, just being with them, you know, and I had, hadn't learned anything from anybody. So did that, did, so that was just your natural instinct or is that something that they, you were taught there? Where did that, where did um, the snuggling well, she, and playing come from? I think that came from me. I mean, she taught me things, I, you know, I'd get there very early sure. in the morning, six in the morning, big load of stuff to fold up, right? Um, laundry and stuff um clean the <laughs> light switches and so forth <laughs> prepare all the food I, you know, I had to do everything with her but I did a lot and then um I just adored these little children and I couldn't stop looking at them and I just loved them and what I also learned was their parents you know they I learned to work with their parents very well because um, remember I had grown up observing a lot that's how I got through my life, actually, how I survived. It's still what I do very often. Just staying and, in the shadows and observing. Yeah. And um, I would sort of observe interactions with the parents and ch children. And there were some parents who were anxious, of course. Although on the kibbutz, you can drop in any time to see your children. Um, and I did a lot of work with the parents, um, helped them a lot. And they became quite close to me. I've got still some friends there today from that period actually um and so that's where i met children and then i met my first husband there too he was um uh, from south africa he'd come in a group and um he was a shepherd he would take the sheep out um <laughs> and he looked like a shepherd he had very black curly hair and a beard and he wore, wore those kind of sandals um did he look like the picture what? of Jesus that exactly. scared you at the beginning? Exactly. No, it didn't scare it me. It was a picture of him. <laughs> did, no. did he have a, a good a good staff? 
he didn't I mean, have a staff, but he would sort of talk to the sheep as he walked. <laughs> he would say, Arre, and the, <laughs> the sheep would follow. <laughs> Our first date actually was out in the fields with the sheep. We were sitting there eating cheese and bread and um, looking at the sheep. And he was telling me about his favorite kind of woman was blonde and tall. <laughs> And I was dark hair and curly. <laughs> There's a lot of terrible stories about my, my poor first husband. Who I can't st- imagine why he's just your first husband and not your <laughs> husband. So he's what, the father of my son, any, and we're still very good friends. Were there any similarities between this young man, I assume young man, who became your first husband, and either your father or your stepfather? No, I would say that he was more like my older brother um, in that way. Um, you know, he was studious and scholarly, which my older brother was. Um, my, my older brother was my mother's darling. She really loved him. And um, she believed that he was a genius. And I mean, just nobody could compare it to him. You know, in the end, I had a doctorate and he didn't. And that was really exciting for me. It didn't help me in any way, but it was with her. But it, it was exciting for me. Oh, whoa, whoa, we gotta, we gotta unpack <laughs> that. Um, I'm so, not a genius, but so you, you got your doctorate oh, to spite when your I brother. Play and... bee, when I play spelling bee in the New York Times, sometimes I become a genius because that's one of the categories. But that's the only kind of genius I am. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you get your PhD to show up your brother and try to get some of your mommy's love? No, I, I got it because I was really intrigued by academia because oh, of him. I mean, I, 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 maybe it was a bit competitive with him, but and, and I'm sure that there was a, a sort of underlying feeling like if only I could be as smart as him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to so, say, is it so much competitive with him or it's just that piece for yourself? Like see i i'm at least as good as him i you know yes it's that something like that yes yeah and and again so much of it is subconscious right you know i wasn't sort of aware of all that so So, what what year is the shepherd date (laughs) um probably 69 70 Okay, great, great. So uh, the year I'm born, you're dating a shepherd um, in Israel. Had you, had you at this time, and this is very important to me, had you heard any Jimi Hendrix at this point in your life? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I think that came later. Okay. Well, as well, long as it came Because I'd, be, I'd been hearing a lot of, um, you know, civil rights kind of folk music. Um, protest songs, things like that, um, and singing them. And and Stan actually also played the guitar, so that was nice because I could sing and he played. Oh, did that happen on the first date? No, I told you the first date we were out eating. Well, I know he could have had his guitar. He could have had his guitar <laughs> slung over his back, and and you're sitting there, you're 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 eating some cheese, and then he pulls the guitar off his back, and and a bunch of little lambs come down and lay down in front of you, and and the sun is setting. It would have been so romantic. Yes, as I mean, he's describing his ideal woman who looks nothing like Tamara. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Carol. But it was pretty romantic. I mean, you know, because those hills where we were sure. the, in the kibbutz, it's in the Gal- the Galilee. It's really beautiful. Um, 
sort of rocky and also plants. It's very lovely, olive trees, things like that. So he was looking for a for a skinny tall blonde. Um, what 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 kept you together after he said I mean, that? His second wife is also called Tamara, and she's no skinny blonde. So I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I mean, he has type wrong. Tammy and I get on really well. <laughs> of course, you know, he sometimes mixes up whether she's Tammy and I'm tomorrow, or I'm Tammy and he's to, she's tomorrow. But uh, yeah, so I mean, so I'm working with children and he's, um, we be, you know, we get close and then he's going to Jerusalem to study in the university. And I, at this stage, don't believe that I can do anything. Don't believe that I have a mind even that I could can study because I had taken my A-levels, which is a British system, high school system, and I had failed French. And you had to have three A-levels to get into college, British system. And uh, I only had two. And I kept retaking the French and I kept failing it. So I was convinced there's no way, way I can do any of this. Um, so he goes to Jerusalem and I follow him and go to a teacher's seminary, which is a little bit like um, a community college, I guess. Um, but it was specific only for teaching. It was in Jerusalem too. And it was the most fantastic two years that I had. I had such wonderful instructors, such, um, uh, you know, like all the, all the play and all the emerging curriculum, all the stuff that we're learning, it was like in their blood. That was, that was actually the, the um, Ministry of Education philosophy in Israel. That, that was the philosophy. So as a preschool teacher, you're given a one-room schoolhouse with a mixed-age group of children. Um, you're given by the state, you know, those big hollow blocks made of wood for them to play, a section for uh, working with clay, not Play-Doh, clay, real clay a woodworking section, uh, no goggles or anything. You work with wood and hammers and saws and, you know, two and a half through five. That was my age group. 35 children, one age. <laughs> yeah. With saws and everybody and pretty much had their fingers at the end of the day and everything? Pretty much, pretty much. And, you know, because they were going around and you're going with them and, and it was just, and you had a, a whole given to you by the state also, a wonderful dramatic play section for the children. I mean, it was just fabulous. If you've ever heard of Cyrus Milansky, she's like the guru on play, dramatic play. She's from Israel, actually. She was a child psychologist, but she really did a lot of work with, with um, dramatic play. So, I so mean, that was my education. Were you gaining confidence by this time? Um, a little bit, yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, so now I'm probably 22, something like that. I had a wonderful psychology teacher because I had tried to be an occupational therapist before that. That's another whole semester thing. And I, it was awful. It was all in Hebrew. And I had only just started studying Hebrew. And um, when you learn occupational therapy, you have to learn the anatomy. And all the anatomy is in Latin. So there's Hebrew instruction and Latin for the, I mean, I just failed every exam. <laughs> I just 
got D's and F's. <laughs> and I also didn't like it. I didn't want to do sewing and stuff like that. Um, but that same psychology teacher was in my teacher's seminary. And he remembered me failing all my exams. <laughs> and my, like, first, oh, <laughs> my first exam, he came behind me and he said, I know that you're very frightened of exams. Do the best you can. And that was it. I just did well in everything after that. It, that's, you see these encouraging pieces of, uh, I call it the kindness of strangers. It's what sort of saved me all my life, I think. Those one or two little incidents that just sort of. And, and, and very, very small things too, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think it's important for us to know when we're working with children that you can just do that with not very much, you know, yeah. just to believe in them or to to just listen or, or, or notice what they've gone through or something. That's so important to me always. That's what my work's about, actually, in, in that way, because it's really saved my life a number of times. Um, so I, I, I graduated from that, and then we, and there's a lot of stuff in between all this, but it doesn't matter because we're talking about early childhood now. Um, not about marriage. <laughs> I mean, it might matter, but okay. <laughs> That's another, another thing. Um, and so Stan and I went to England. We went to Manchester because he wanted to um, not go into the army just yet. Otherwise, he would have been called up to the army in Israel. And he wasn't ready for that yet. And because he was were, South African. Were we uh, married yet? Um, yes, we just got married. I was probably 23 when we got married. He was 22 and a half. So off we went to Manchester, England, so that he could study statistics, get his master's, I think. Yes, because he had his BA already. Um, and I was very dutiful. I worked in the university bookshop in the English section, literature section, to, to keep us, because we had very little to no money at all, um, and fell pregnant. Um, that happens when you get married and also or when you're not married. Yeah, but, sometimes before, yeah. Yes, but it was when I was married. Um, and that was very exciting for me to be pregnant, really. I was so excited. My, my older brother lived in Manchester. He was a professor at the university there already. Um, so I spent a year, we spent a year very close to him which was kind of interesting because I was like this very naive. I wasn't a feminist in any shape or form. I believed in taking care of my husband while he did his studying because of course I couldn't study. I didn't have it in me. I'm just a whatever. That's how I believed. Mm -hmm. And so we'd, we'd go to my brother and have all these intellectual friends around and they'd all be talking about women's rights and because that was the time that women women's lib and I would sit there <laughs> telling them but it's really important when when my husband comes home that there's dinner on the table and there's cookies in the jar um so they all thought I was some kind of loser they all having a stroke that was <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely I do think uh, it's interesting though like everywhere you go like it seems like part of your family there but mm -hmm. still the biggest person so to speak that's still with you is your mother like she yes. seems to just be following you 
everywhere in spirit. Absolutely. Oh, Carol, how clever you are. <laughs> I mean, no, that's observant. That <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, even now I was <laughs> trying to prove. Yeah, yeah, that, that your mother was mowing the lawn outside the window to disrupt the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Or to to warn me, be careful what you say. Mm -hmm. There's there's this uh, story in our family where my older sister went to therapy and my mother went to visit the therapist and warned him that my sister was going to lie. And that's the kind of person. Next level. That is. (laughs) That's a true story. Um. Okay, so where are we? Well, you are you Manchester. are hanging out with. We're not uh, a feminist. You, <laughs> I'm not a feminist. I'm in Manchester you, you, with the university crowd. <laughs> you are you are not burning your bra yet. Um, you're making dinner instead. <laughs> you're making dinner. <laughs> and I'm pregnant. And you're pregnant. And all the the people in the store, the the young people working with me in the university bookstore, all sound like the Beatles because we're in Northern England. We're in Manchester. It was such fun. <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, and actually, I was, you know, worked in, in, I think we were allowed to work until we were seven and a half, eight months in England. And then you, you couldn't work if you were pregnant anymore. You had to. But I mean, you got um, help from the state. We got free milk. We got all kinds of things because we, our income level was low, very low. Um, and I had my son there in this wonderful hospital, really wonderful place. St. Mary's Hospital. My son today has three passports because when he was six weeks, we left and went back to Israel. So he's got British passport, Israeli passport, and now American passport. Um, and back we went to Israel it was 1973. I was 24. And there was a big war called the Yom Kippur War in Israel that lasted three weeks and was very frightening. Um, and our marriage was tough there's all kinds of reasons why I'm not going to go into it but um, we we managed to be together for about 12 years I think before and also during the marriage and so forth Um, and when we went back to Israel I got wait a minute no I took care of my son until he was two and a half before I put him into a little play group and then I worked for the British Council, also in a library. Um, and then I got a job finally in a preschool uh, in Israel with the Ministry of Education. That's the one-room schoolhouse, 35 children, one aide, and so forth. Um, and I loved it very, very much. I just, um, I did really well. I just loved it. I had this fantastic supervisor from Argentina who only spoke Spanish and Hebrew and she was very dynamic and had wonderful ideas Um, and I had wonderful people working with me I mean like the one aid each time was really lovely people Um, so probably I work from age 24 till 38 What's that, 14 years, 14, 15 years. Um, And my supervisor moves us from 
place to place after after a few years she says oh you're getting too bored there you need to go and work there and she can switch us around so I got to work with a lot of different populations uh, the one area that I worked in was largely um, people from Morocco Algeria Yemen Tunisia all that group of people Jewish but Arabic um, and that first year that I worked I had a terrible aid um, and I didn't know <laughs> that she had driven away all the teachers who had come there for years they couldn't work with her um, so I arrived there a brand new teacher and uh, and she's like she's all the time not cleaning and not doing stuff or whatever and I, I'm working like a maniac to try and keep things going with all my cleaning children. the light switches Yes, exactly. Someone's got to shine those lights with us. And I'm in this area where, you know, there's all these sort of Arab Jewish people. And I have uh, um, uh, my first parent meeting and nobody comes or like three people come. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Well, they were just didn't trust any teacher anymore because all the teachers kept leaving. Um, but I didn't know any of this. So I decided... I'd better just do home visits and see what's going on. I, I used to, I didn't have a car in those days. I only rode a bicycle for years. I only rode a bicycle or used public transport. And I would go every week from house to house on my own steam. I mean, I just thought I better get to know these people, why they don't want to know me. And they were so generous and so excited that I came to visit them. I mean I, I, I mean, I make this joke that they would feed me so that I didn't have to eat for a week, but it was kind of true. You know, they were just open arms. And by the end, they were all coming, literally 85, 90% of the parents were coming to the parent meetings. And I just had a most fantastic relationship. And so from then on, that's what I did every year. I've written an article about that actually. So that that makes me makes me feel that you've uh, you've developed a little bit of confidence. I mean, to yes. decide to do that, there must have been some yeah some of that starting to come out in you. Yeah, and I also noticed that this woman's driving me crazy, and I'm thinking this is not good. So I just got rid of her, and I don't know how it was. I think it was I didn't like fire her. I couldn't do that. That's because we have unions and things. And Got rid right. of her? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, um, I, I guess I worked so hard and I cleaned for her and things like that, that she just left. She was an older woman. I can't remember what the dynamics were. We didn't fight or anything. She just left. She just, at the end of the year, she went away. Um, and I and got nobody ever saw her again tomorrow are you are you admitting to a murder <laughs> no she just I, I got rid of her she just she went away like, that sounds like a mafia like working thing. with me <laughs> okay <laughs> she would she would argue with me and say you know that's my job and I, and I would say but then you don't do it. do it you know and and I have to have that done or whatever so she sort of didn't like she sort of felt like I was putting her down I guess I don't know what it was but I was just getting through the day that's how I saw it um, sure and then I thought who could work with her and then I think I met one of the old ah I met one of the something like that I met one of the teachers who'd been there before and they said oh my gosh you've got that woman and I never and then I realized that that was what was going on 
So that was my first year. Um, and then I went, moved from different populations. And so I got to know all kinds of different people. And I, I did home visits every year of my teaching career, every, every single year. I highly recommend it. I've got a special method. Um, I love it. I really loved it. Um, but anyway, long story short, because now we've done Africa and Israel. At age 38, I decide I'm now on my second marriage, refrigeration technician, originally from Germany. <laughs> very interesting man, very kind man, very kind to my son, which is what was very important to me, but not very um, intellectually stimulating for me. And I decided when I'm about 38, I think, you know, I want to do more with my life. I think I want to become a family therapist. So I study for a couple of years, sort of part-time in a family therapy clinic, and I love it. So then I apply to the Tel Aviv University to, to get my degree in social work so that I can do family therapy. <laughs> and there's a GRE test, right? Something mm -hmm. like that, SAT, I don't know what they're called. And I fail it by like 10 points. So they don't accept me. Ugh. I mean, I have to write essays and I go through an interview and everything, but that test, that's it. If and anybody ever wondered the validity of standardized testing, let Tamar show. Isn't that amazing? Ugh. That same year, I'm going off on my summer vacation July and August, my Argentinian supervisor calls me up and says, there's a conference. I've never been to a conference ever in all these years. There's a conference that we're having and some famous people from America are coming. And I've got a host, a professor called Bernard Spodek, very famous early childhood professor from Urbana-Champagne. He, he worked together with Lillian Katz. I don't know any of these people, never even heard of them. I've never read books like that. Um, and she said, I don't speak English. Can you help me host this man? And I hum and har, it's beginning the summer. I want to go and sit on the beach with my son. And uh, Okay, I'll do it. And boy, oh boy, what a time I had. Oh, it was such fun. There were all these professors and Famous people, uh, Seymour, Seymour Papert, who does stuff with computers, and Neil Postman, and all kinds of famous people. And I was sitting there just listening to these wonderful speeches and lectures, and I'm feeling so um, inspired and uh, validated, because I've had lots of thoughts about things all these years that I'm teaching, lots of ideas. I wanted to have support groups for teachers. I mean, I wanted all kinds of things, but I never talked about it with anybody. Um, and Bud Spodek likes to recruit foreign students. So he goes to my supervisor, I don't know any of this, and says, who do you recommend I recruit to America, to Urbana-Champagne? And she was standing with another supervisor and they both pointed to me. They said, she's the one. And across from the table is Jim Hoot, who's a professor from the University at Buffalo, who was a protege of Bernard Spodek. And he overhears this discussion and he scoots right over at this cocktail party to me and talks me up and this and that. And how would you like to study in America? 
And I look at him like, are you crazy? <laughs> I don't go to university. Not me. I don't know how to study. Um, oh, I say, oh. I go, well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's every day he's talking to me because he's thinking he's going to recruit me. Um, but I don't know any of this. So I invite him to dinner to meet my husband and my child and my friends. And I tell him where to go in Jerusalem to buy the, the, you know, the stuff for his wife because he's Catholic. And I know all the places where Jesus has been and so forth because I was very interested in that. That's a whole nother semester. And um, within a year, there I am at the University of Buffalo with my child in tow, divorced a second time. Now we need to pause because tomorrow you thought you thought we could get through this all in an hour. We are <gasps> at the we are at the hour mark. We are you are thirty nine. We got thirty some years left. Are we gonna we gonna pause and make this an episode and come back and do another one, or you want to keep going, or what do you want to do? Well, I think it's boring if it's too long. I really do. So maybe we should do the America part later. Yeah, I think that'd be good. This is this looks like a perfect cliffhanger, huh? Yeah, because now I go to university and I become me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's very quick. <laughs> you, you become you very quickly. That's great. I become me. I become a feminist. I mean, all sorts of stuff start happening. Oh, have you have you heard Jimi Hendrix yet? <laughs> oh, yes, I have. By now. And what what were you drinking at that cocktail party? Oh. What was your cocktail that, of choice in the 70s? At that time, uh, probably some wine. I don't, I've okay. never had sort of anything more than that and, until, okay, until I came to America and then it was gin and tonic. There we go. There we go. Um, I think we're, what we're going to do is next time when we record part two, we're going to do it in the evening and we're going to make sure Tamar has a gin and tonic. Oh, that's um, a good idea. I, and then we'll get into some of the really good stories uh, about the, uh, the <laughs> There's American There's a lot years. of good stories that I haven't told, but those are personal life stories. That no, I don't mean I don't mind sharing personal life stories, but they're not about early childhood per se. Well, they might be. <laughs> hey, listeners, we're going to come back with Tamar and Carol for part two of this at some point. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you need to more Tamar in your life. You can find her. You go to playvolutionhq.com slash Tamar dash Jacobson, and you'll find her contact information and the stuff that she shared on that site and how to get a hold of her if you need and, and the books. If you need more of her in your life, you need more Carol. Carol, where do you want people to go if they need more of you and your their life therapy no uh <laughs> i'm over on instagram at life is the lesson plan with a period between each word there you I go do. and if you if you uh you search uh carol cole k-o-h-l on the playvolution site you can find some stuff that she's shared there as well back soon bye-bye bye bye This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.